This show is distributed by SoundCloud.com. Welcome to episode 186 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Good. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's been a while since we've done a morning show. Well, it's not. It's not really morning for me. It's the afternoon over here. Well, I know you wake up kind of late, so maybe it's kind of morningish oh, for you. No, no, I was up at eight. I was up at really? eight. Yeah. I thought you were a sleep-in kind of guy. Well, I mean, well, you don't. When you don't have kids, it's it's something you actually do as an adult. We we've recently started going for uh, walks in a local park every morning, so we get up at eight. Ah. Oh. Oh, good for you. So, um, and don't say how's the weight loss going. <laughs> I don't, wouldn't even broach the topic unless you broached it. So, how is it? Anything you want to say? Not any any uh, progress? Uh, no, no progress. But not. No, I mean, I'm not. It's not like I'm gaining any weight, but I'm also not losing that much either. Right. right yeah. Okay. Um. So, what's the? Uh, what's you guys are planning on moving back to LA from Savannah July first? Is that still? Well, actually, we've got the movers. The movers are coming in on the 29th of May, June. And um, I'm, I'm assuming these are different movers. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, after looking at movingscan.com and having some look to having a good look at some local companies, Georgie found a great company. What was their name? Georgie? AC White. Yeah. So um, it's going to cost, you know, it's going to cost uh, a, a little bit more. It's the on the way over it costs us uh, i guess three three and a half thousand it's going to cost us four thousand three hundred back but um they gave us this kind of price guarantee and basically it just it just seems like a really good company they meet all the criteria that moving scam talk about for example right. you you can walk into their office anytime and they actually have an office <laughs> that's one of the key criteria they're not just uh you know just a phone Right, right. Yeah. PO box or something. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So you're coming back on the, to the first. So you'll be back here. I guess you guys are gonna be driving cross country on the fourth of July. We'll huh? be we'll be back by fourth of July to have a nice barbecue with Georgie's parents. Okay. Well, great. Yeah. Well, it'll be good to have you back. Yeah, we should we should do lunch. Yeah. Well, where are you guys gonna live? What's the? Have you picked out a, an area? Well, we're thinking Eagle Rockish. Well, if you're in Eagle Rock, that's actually pretty close to Pasadena. That's like yeah. ten minutes. So we, I mean, because before you would, you were living in like Orange County, and you were you were also in like uh, where in Hollywood. Yeah, but we were, that's I a was, long when I was living in Glendale, it was just down the road from you, and we still never saw each other. Yeah, I guess that's true. Glendale just seems so far. I got to go over the hill. What? It's like it takes literally less than ten minutes to get to Glendale. <laughs> I know. It just it's just the the psychological barrier of the hill. Oh, okay. I guess. I'm just making excuses. So, all oh, right. Well, enough. cool. Just want to get an update. And then I got an email from uh, Lance Jones was asking when you guys are coming back. So, Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be good. So I, I have like um, a lot of stuff to talk about. I've, I've taken a lot of links from Hacker News and kind of looked through the stories. But I don't, ha- I don't know off the top of my head necessarily have a lot of personal stuff to talk about, Plugio. But maybe, I mean, if you, maybe if you ask the right questions, you'll open get the, the right discussion answers. up. I mean, I'm I'm curious to know. Um, we've ha- we've been having a lot of discussions about Epic Night recently, yourself and myself. Um, right. We get to talk about that on the show. Yeah, yeah. What, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this crazy app? Yeah, so I, I guess I'd probably do a little um, 
a little background on it. So Guyon and I, Guyon being my sort of my partner in crime, um, started on Epic Night in I want to say like two and a two year two and a half years ago or something. Yeah. No, I can't remember it now. It's been so long. Um, yeah. So Guyon and I, even to go further back, Guyon, I initially hired him as a as a contractor uh, to work with me on Prezo yeah. um, back in like 2005, I think. And, you know, he would work with me. We, we, that's when we started our like hour and a half a day, every, pretty much four to five days a week sort of routine. And uh, he was in London at the time. Now he's in Norway. So he's an hour and a half ahead. So we would do this like hour and a half thing. Um, lunchtime for me at night when all the kids were in bed for him. And uh, after Prezo ended up sort of ending as a venture, uh, as an ongoing concern, um, we decided we wanted to continue working on stuff. And so that ultimately led to coming up with the idea of Appetite working on that. If you don't know what Prezo is, because there are some listeners who joined in the late hundreds, um, just Google how I screwed up my Google acquisition, um, and you'll see a blog post that Jason wrote about that. <laughs> right. It's so but, awesome. But, don't, but don't get into that now, because I know that's <laughs> a whole other story. I don't, I don't want to take you too much off track. It's just awesome to be known for something like that, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> be known for your screw-up, for your fail. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, obviously, we knew it was going to be a, a complicated um, project. We didn't know it was going to be as complicated. Um, I... I'm probably more optimistic about it as I probably tend to be about most things. And, but I was able to convince guy and it was worth doing. And so we started off working on it and making progress. And as, as with any really. So, the, so what is the project? In, oh, in oh, what Appignite is? Yeah. oh, okay. Appignite is the, we wanted to create a, a web app, which would allow you to effectively develop other web apps. It's kind of like a wizard-based UI. Think of it as sort of like Microsoft Access or FileMaker Pro for the web on steroids. Yeah. So could you effectively build, uh, you know, generate a lot of the things that you might do by hand with Ruby on Rails or Django or something? And, yeah. you know, everything from logging in, you know, the login system to all the different list views and form views and, uh, you know, kind of some Ajaxy things like voting and favoriting things and all that kind of stuff. So software um, that builds software. Yeah, it just it just makes it a lot easier. It makes it way easier, um, way faster. Because, you know, as for a lot of us who build web applications, you know, we, we, we tend to, like, do the same crap over and over again. Even if you have... Uh, powerful libraries, you still end up typing a lot of the same crap in again. I mean, how many times have you done different types of login forms and different types of, uh, you know, whatever uh, validation scripts and stuff. So, so what, what's, the pro- what's the problem with, the, with building this product? Well, it's just really, it's, it's hard. It's complicated because you can get the core of it, but then you start running it, you quickly start running it at different types of special cases, or you just, it's just... Um, it's just a big problem. Let's put it's, it that it's way. It's the power of the exponential, basically. So basically you're building a software, a piece of software that could build something, in theory, something like Anyfoo. But when we actually come to build Anyfoo, there's so many kind of edge cases and every little business that you do, there's so many little edge cases. It makes building a piece of software that can build all of the different kind of websites there are in the world very, very difficult because the power of the exponential is massive. Yeah, I mean, I, we, the way you're using exponential, I, I don't think that's quite the way I describe it. I just say that there's just so many edge cases that that uh, it's hard to capture that in, um, in in some sort of wizard code generator. Right. Um, 
But so okay, so that that was the problem. I mean, it was just taking a long time, and we ended up building um, building the first version, and it kind of worked. You know, I had a few beta testers who played around with it, and they were to build, they built some simple stuff. You know, not without running into problems or whatever. But um, I, and I used it to generate some of the guts of some projects that I was working on, and um, so it was pretty cool. Um, but then I decided. And I convinced Guyon that we needed to move it to the client side to, to have it generated uh, using JavaScript on the client side rather than on the back end. So JavaScript's generating the PHP that's going to get run on the back end. Yeah, the PHP, the HTML, the CSS, you know, JavaScript. It, it, all, the, all, the, all of the, the engine is really running in JavaScript on the client side as opposed to running on the server. And the reason we did that was it was just got really sluggish on the server at times. Um, yeah. Is doing a lot of work, whereas it could run on the client side, and you wouldn't even know it was so fast, you wouldn't even notice. So um, it, but that, that there's also been, I mean, during the two and a half years, if I remember correctly, there's also been a few times when you've gone through major refactoring of the whole system. Yeah, well, that, the biggest one was probably the move to JavaScript, as you might imagine. Yeah, um, yeah, there were probably different types of refactorings. Because there's, but there was backend refactoring. There's, 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 there's been a few times when you've completely refactored the way that the backend works, the main frame, the main PHP framework works. Yeah, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah. So, so, so it's interesting because you've been developing this product for two and a half years. And there's been, I don't know, three cases of, of I guess, rewrites. Mm-hmm. And where, so where, where does this leave you now? Because you've, you've sort of got it out to customers, but you haven't got it out to customers to, to get it to the end. And, I, hey, I'm doing a Jason now. I'm leading, I'm leading the witness here. But anyway. How dare you enumerate possible <laughs> answers to the question? <laughs> okay. But anyway, I know that you're going you're gonna to have something to say, so it's not going to be an issue. I mean, you, in a private discussion the other day, you also told me that you think – an absolute minimum of getting something out there, and this is without any marketing material, without any documentation, is another few months. So, where, so where, how does this all leave you feeling about this this product and this project? Oh, this feels very touchy feely. The questioning here, <laughs> I feel like I'm the, I feel like I'm sitting on the couch just talking to a psychologist or something. Okay, so yeah, so there's 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 a couple feelings, which is um, one, and, and this is what I've been trying to way in my in my head like what what do i what am i thinking here so first of all we've been kind of moving to slow pace the last six to nine months because of i've had a lot of work with uber and i even brought guyon in helping out with some of that i was sort of oh anyway yeah he was doing some uber work as well and then another contract that i had when i jumped over to uber full-time i can't hand it off to guyon and so he was kind of busy with that and we just had a lot of things kind of eating up our time so instead of us working on app ignite we were working on other stuff. Um, and then Inifu, of course, I ate into that because time that I might have spent on the weekends or nights uh, working on Epic Night went to Inifu. Um, so that's always kind of a, a mistake, I think, to have two projects, which probably anyone could, we might say that that's not, would, wouldn't be hard to guess, right? <laughs> well, that's, so, yeah, and that's, that's been a big, the whole focus then has been a big thing that I've been thinking about recently, as we discussed on the last show. We don't need to get back into now, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so the, the what I've been thinking about, and I and I was proposing this to the guy, and I was like, you know, should we maybe just just to get something out there, do this like for a little hacker events project or something else, just to get something done, just the for psychological hope. purposes, the memory, you know, whatever, you know, just something. <laughs> and Gaon is kind of open to it. He was kind of he I, he was kind of on the fence. Like, I think he could kind of go either way. He could see how that would that could work. 
And I was looking, I was trying to figure out, am I, am I quitting App Ignite because I'm just bored, just kind of running out of steam? You know, is it, is it, am I rationalizing, am I rationalizing, you know, stopping work on apping this other stuff because I just want to do something else, right? Is this a yeah. sort of rationalization where really I should just finish this thing that we started that, you know, this something has value and just do it. I mean, as Gavin pointed out to me that yesterday when we were talking about it, he said, you know, didn't like a, over a couple thousand people sign up for the email list? You yeah, know? But, but, yeah, but or there's, there's another, there's well, a let me finish. Let me, okay, let go me on. finish. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, when you have a couple thousand people, 2,500 people, whatever was sign up, um, when I was even talking about App Ignite, they just saw a link to it. I mean, that, that definitely shows some interest mm-hmm. uh, from, from, from people that, you know, that it, it that might be on to something that people would be willing to pay for. Um, the other side, of course, is the sunk cost cognitive bias. Like, are we sticking on something and, and, and overweighing its value because we've already invested a lot of time and energy into it? It's an emotional thing. Yeah. Um, and, but at the same time, the, and so, but I was also like, okay, so we've kind of been sort of half-assed on this thing for the last six months. Am I feeling less emotionally attached and sort of if I become emotionally, you know, divested from it, so I'm, I'm more willing to just say screw it because it's kind of like, okay, I, I don't want to get myself mentally back into it and I just want to get, do something that's easy. And, you know, because you see, you, you see all these projects and people working on these things, you can tell they put in like 20, 30, 40 hours on it and you're like, man, <laughs> why are we doing the hard thing? Maybe we should do something that's a little simpler. And because... A measure of I mean, the the user doesn't care how hard it was to do something; they just want some no. value, right? Yeah. So whether it takes four thousand hours, four hundred, or forty hours, it's just you know the user just doesn't care. Sometimes it's the simple, just having a, cl- a clever insight and having a simple solution, and 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 say marketing it or messaging it in the right way that people understand what it is you're building, and all of a sudden you're off to the races with something can work. So there's there's all these things going through my head, and it's really almost impossible to be completely objective about it and not fall victim to one of these other type of cognitive biases, these rationalizations or some cost things. So I, I've just been kind of frustrated the last week, just not being able to decide what what to do. And I, Guyon is just Guyon is, I think, a little more laid back about it. He's, I think, he could kind of go either way. Um, I want no. to understand Guyon's motivation. Like, does he do stuff to have fun, or does he do stuff to make money? What's what's? Wh- why does he work with you? <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> I think. Um, well, I think you could look at most people's motivations. I think you have three things, three primary motivators. Sort of like a, a yeah, three primary motivators um, for working on anything, whether it's a contract or a job. One is to make money. Two is to learn, and three is to have fun. Not necessarily in that order, right? So, like, the perfect situation for a job, for instance, is if all, if all three are satisfied. You're making money, you're having fun, and you're learning. Yeah. Two is usually sufficient, right? You know, maybe you're not having fun, but you're learning and making money, or maybe you're not making money, but you're having fun and you're learning. That's usually sufficient. One, you're probably you're making money, but you're not having fun and learning. That's probably not going to work for long term. And so I think you could even look at in terms of this particular situation for Guyon, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think he'd probably say, I'd have to ask him, but I think he'd probably have to say it's probably 40% make money, 40% fun, 20% learning. Hold hold on a second. Are you learning? Okay. Are you learning or are you having fun or are you making money with Epic Night right now? I mean, the goal. No, no, you, I'm asking, are you learning or are you having fun or are you making money? Any of those three. 
Well, you know, I mean, they, they haven't made any money from it, obviously. Are you right. learning from it? Oh, yeah, definitely learned quite a bit. I mean, definitely quite a bit. How about it, right now? Uh, is my learning... I don't know. It's not, it's not a huge learning curve, right? I mean, because, I mean, you know, it's like once you've been working on a project for a while, you've kind of, you've picked the low-hanging low fruit on the learning tree. <laughs> yeah, are you having fun with Epic Night right now? I still have fun with it. It's still enjoyable. I mean, but, you know, I like to code, so building stuff is fun. And I like working with Guyon, so that's fun. So you, uh, but in some ways, are you at the stage where it's more like you just have to, to build stuff to make it work? It's more... Um, you you sort of going through the motions and getting some of the some of the stuff finished. Have you have you gone through the the important biggest fun parts, or do you still have more to go more to come? Oh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess there are different parts that'll be could be fun any any project. But you know, it's like the it's like the you know what they call like the last sort of ten percent of any project. <laughs> you know, yeah. the last. It's like sometimes you just got to get stuff done. It's not fun to write tests and to do marketing and to do. Um, you know, um, documentation or what for any project, right? It's open yeah. source project, anything else. I mean, it's point, you just got to do crap to finish stuff up. And it's not fun. It's about finishing what you started. Yeah. It's just bringing something to completion. Because when you don't bring anything to completion, the best you can, you, you can never, you can, you're, you're really cutting short the value that you can probably realize out of it and that anyone else can realize out of it. You like maybe you learned and you had some fun working on it, but then you throw it away. And there's no problem. I mean, with doing that, I mean, we all have plenty. We're, I'm sure all of us have directories that are full of abandoned projects that were sort of fun, you know, little experiments. But then you're like, okay, I, I spent 10 or 20 hours on this and I'm kind of, I'm not going to pursue it. And, and that's fine. But sometimes you, use, but, but if at some point, you probably got to finish something if if you want the world to realize any value beyond your own personal sort of enjoyment learning from it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think you, you always have to be, uh, you have to weigh that in. It's like, okay, well, everything can't be fun. You know, I mean, customer support isn't necessarily fun, right? Sometimes you can try and make it fun for yourself. Documentation isn't really fun, but it's just you got to do it, right? So, I, I think this is the realization I came to. I and I and I, I, uh, Guyon's on board. So what we decided to do, and this is a little bit of pro, I'll give you a little credit for prompting this, is we're going to um, open source the base framework, which mm-hmm. I would describe as kind of a very minimalist, um, f- uh, sort of typical web Django Rails-y kind of uh, framework, you know, t- uh, uh, sort of an object relational mapper kind of thing and some routing and, and, and other stuff just to get, you know, so you can do RESTful things and you can do the CRUD operations without having to write any code and, and, and get all that out there because that stuff's kind of cute and nice and useful and it's, and it's, it's core to App Ignite itself. So even if, if we did finish App Ignite and did release it, you'd still want the framework to be documented and open source. Yeah. Right, because if if you went on App Ignite, generate an application, you're like, all right, this is cool. I'm going to download the code and extend it, do stuff. And there's no documentation on how, how anything works. You'd be like, well, what the hell? I can't really use this, right? So, or if we didn't release it, at least we could say, okay, we, at least we have this little. We extracted this core to it, and at least we can use that in future projects, and anyone else can use it who wants to, right? You know what? I, can I interrupt you? I've just realized something listening to you talk about this. There's there's a thing called um, well it's it's called the the bake utility in Cake and I've forgotten what it is it's just command line stuff in Rails I've forgotten the name of it but basically it's where you go through and you create the models and the controllers and you just specify what they are 
Now, you are obviously much further ahead than that. Um, if you release that with your system, just even any kind of web interface that can basically create models and controllers and uh, get your basic framework, uh, they call it scaffolding, get your basic scaffolding up. Yeah. If, if you release that, that is massively ahead of the game of any of these other frameworks. Um, so I'm not sure about the Ruby side, but definitely on the PHP side, because that doesn't exist to my knowledge, a, a place where you can scaffold through drag and drop. That would be kind of huge as, as an open source framework in its own right. Yeah, yeah. So I think our, our, our plan, uh, the, way to tweet it, the way I put it to Jit Guyon is I said, let's, let's get AppIgnite to the point where at the very least, it's a power tool that we can use. We can the the app ignite the sort of the the actual application, not the um, not the framework. Okay, right. so the framework is open sourced, and we can use our own tools internally. It may not be it may not be as beautiful as we'd like or as complete as we like, but at least we can use it because that would be frustrating for me not to be able to use this stuff when it can save so much time. And I started to think rather than rather than shooting for the stars on having app ignite be able to generate extremely sophisticated applications you having non-sophisticated users be able to develop, generate not sophisticated applications what if the goal if we did release it was to that sophisticated php developers because right now it generates php code it could generate other things eventually but php code so sophisticated developer could develop you know the boring 40 percent of their code like the the, the all the vanilla stuff you know yeah. that they that it generates all that, so it's like a kind of, so it's like you know so the the name is app ignite, so ignite your application, right? Get you out of the gate, and all of a sudden you're you know um, you know two or three weeks or a month down the path, as opposed to like you know having to, to draw the crap by hand, or can do, or can generate really simple things for non technical users. That's a big deal. I th- I think that that's a big deal. The the option number one that you said there and that I described as well. So basically, you're creating a ph a very a uh, compact, tight, well-written PHP framework with a UI to be able to do the boilerplate stuff. That's that's huge. Yeah. So, so I think what we're going to do for I said, you know, so what we thought is okay. So, the, for the next month, I think we're going to give it about a month, and we're going to put our heads up and see where we are. If we're going to try. I'm going to I'm going to try and tie up the application in a month. For so it's at least at the level where internally we can use it. Okay, and because we're pretty close, I feel like we're even closer than that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say a month because I think that you know maybe I think it's more like a two week. I I, I feel like it's two weeks, so I'm gonna say a month. <laughs> Meanwhile, guy, we 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 we're putting it on on uh, we put it up on GitHub, and Guyon is um, going through the process of doc writing unit tests and uh, and documentation and examples and write really good really good um, documentation for it. And uh, and so then at the end of the month. We'll pick our heads up and go. Okay, <laughs> do we want to go to the next step and re- and try and get Epic Night released, or do we want to just list, like we'll use our own power tool to create some other stuff that we'll try and release and monetize? Um, but the one I, one idea I had, which I think again like is like so we have I got to check my email list, but it had like say twenty five hundred subscribers. I mean, what we could do is send an email to everyone and also post on Hacker News and say, here's what we got, here's what it does. Should we continue and push this forward, or does anyone care? Mm-hmm. Get a, get a vote. I mean, it's like if if most people think, ah, that's stupid, you know, move on to something else. No one cares. Then we'll be. Then maybe we maybe we'll just 
forget about it. If we get a lot of people saying, hey, I'd use that, I'd, I'd really, we'd pay for it, we'd like to use that, then, then maybe that would be the, the emotional boost, the encouragement we would need to say, put a little more time on to take it to the next level. Okay. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, sounds like a plan. Yeah, it's, it's been a real, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have had this feeling where you spend a lot of time on a project and then you reach a point where, you know, you can't decide whether to get you on with it or not. You're kind of depressed because you don't want to be a quitter. You don't want to give up on it. But then you also feel kind of like, you know, frustrated that maybe you should have been working on something else. And especially when you see like these, what you, what you might view as, somewhat trivial applications coming out and working and making money and getting users and you're just like damn man Mm -hmm. why did uh why do we do it this why do we take such a hard approach but as my buddy phil you told me on our last conversation he's like yeah but jason that's the kind of projects you want to work on (laughs) you would get bored working on the simple ones so that's probably part of my personality you know i kind of i gravitate towards working on big hard problems and uh but then it's just um that's just part of it, you know. You take on a big hard problem, you're going to run it. You're going to take a long time, and it, you can always run the risk of just running out of gas, or you know. Yeah, but I still think that the the optimum way to approach this is to work on something small and profitable, um, get it out there, get your basic needs met, so that you don't need to stress about earning money, and then go back to the hard and fun. I think you're right. You know, I mean, I think I think the ideal in my mind, if you can do it, is to build something that's relatively simple that you can get out a basic version in like six weeks, two months, mm-hmm. you know, the alpha version. Um, meaning that if it takes three months, it's not the end of the world. Um, and that you can figure out a way to monetize it fairly early on. I mean, we're talking about bootstrapping, right? I mean, there, yeah. I mean, if trying to get into Y Combinator and do the Hail Mary pass and, you know, we'll just get big and try and come up with the way to monetize later, that's, that's a whole other approach. But assuming you're going to try and do this on your own without taking outside investment. Um, the other thing that I believe in, and this is, my, this is just purely my, an opinion because it's at odds with, I think, the way a lot of people think, is that scratch your own niche in some way. And, and, and for me, I just can't care that much about working on other people's problems. It just doesn't, I just don't care. And which means I lose motivation pretty quickly. And I remember at MicroConf, I, I talked to a few different people who were like, they were looking in areas that they knew nothing about and trying to solve other people's problems. And for them, maybe it was okay. Maybe they were pure, they, they had, that was enough motivation. The idea of something that was going to make money for them, that was going to make income, and that was going to make a group of people happy, that they could learn to love the problem and make, make money that way. And, um, and that's, that's great if you can do that. And I think there's a lot of people who can because there are people we talked to at Microsoft who are very successful and happy. I can't do that. And that limits my range of problems because, um, you know, I just don't, because obviously if I, if the whole world of other people's problems were opportunities for me, that's a bigger, that's a bigger set of probabilities than if I'm just trying to solve my own problems. Well, sometimes you can even start working on a problem that's your own problem. And then it's not something that you're really that passionate about anymore. For example, Plugio, where, you know, it was definitely a scratch your own itch thing just to publicize the show. But then after a while, um, I turned it into a product. But now, two years later, um, I, I guess because Plugios does has been scratching my own itch, but it just makes it so easy. I don't need to think about it so much anymore. So I'm not hugely passionate about the problem. But I, I guess now what I'm passionate about is entre- the entrepreneurial problem, how, how to market a product, how to sell a product, all that kind of stuff. So that that's what keeps me wrapped up in it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's with the... I mean, 
you you obviously can't always make money just working on your own little idiosyncratic issue you know um some people can and if you're you're lucky you're you're kind of on the luckier side if you're able to do that um so and i know that me saying that that's what i want to do you know is is a limiting thing um but uh you know i think what you hopefully what you can do at the very least is figure out a way to get excited about other problems so even if it's not your particular problem domain it's the it's the solving of the problem it's all the meta stuff that you talk about that you're interested in and the actual what whose problem it's solving is sort of inconsequential it's just uh, you know all the other stuff so you know anyway well that's it that's probably enough on happy night so that's where we stand i mean we'll we'll you know hopefully have an update in a month okay you know, and tell you where we stand and you know maybe we'll do a little like you know show and tell give people the github good you know get the get up on github and let people see it and all that I think it's awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a I think it's a happy. It's a, it's sort of a happy medium. It's sort of a a, a sort of a um, you know worst case at least we extract some value that other people can uh, can leverage and that we can leverage. It would just be really disappointing to to just stop and just have yeah. all like unfinished, undocumented code sitting on our respective hard drives and that nobody's using and that we talked about and worked on for two years two plus years i mean that just is really kind of yeah lame <laughs> yeah. all right well um so i've got something for you um did you read that blog post avoiding depression while not running a billion dollar company so it's adam siegel who's talking about the fact that he was in yc um he's running a company and it's never going to be anything like a, a very big company it's not going to have instagram valuation of a billion dollars it's not going to have evernote's valuation of a billion dollars by the way i didn't know evernote was worth a billion um pinterest has a valuation of 1.5 billion microsoft's just ipoing for 100 billion um and he's he's just really been building a a much smaller company that that has a much smaller level of um i guess income and revenue basically bootstrapping for want of a better word but but he said that it's a they have a few employees and it supports them full time so oh yeah yeah. It's, it's like a successful, small, you know, ongoing concern, I, it's, you know, which is obviously hard to do. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, but, but he's also saying that he feels slightly jealous of the fact that he wasn't the golden child. He didn't get the billion dollar company. And so really the, it's just a post about um, avoiding the depression while not becoming some kind of superstar. So he has some, some nice little tips um, and I'll, I'll run through those. Um, one thing I want to say before, before you continue, just for you on tips, yeah, sure. is you know, I, and I think it's 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 not so much when I read it, at least the impression I guess, not so much about being jealous. It's it's also part about being, or at least this is part of the thing, the thinking or the the issue is that should I be working on something else, right? Yeah. I mean, am I, am I am I wasting my time? It's not like oh, I'm you know, like you somehow resenting the universe that you weren't like picked or something like that. It's more like. Okay, I chose path A. Path A got me here, which is good. But man, these other things, these guys created these companies and it probably wasn't even any more work. And they just picked a different kind of idea and it's a billion dollar company. And you're kind of like, fr- he's probably frustrated because, like, I know I'm going to be able to pay my bills and that, run a little company and have fun doing it. And that's all great. But, you know, I'll never get to this other place. You know, these billion dollar on the front of magazine kind of destinations by doing what I'm doing. And so there's a certain amount of frustration 
probably with that. If 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 there's that if that appeals to to you, which I'm um, probably to a lot of entrepreneurs, it does appeal. It, it is appealing. You you use a part of there's probably a lot of us that wants to. There's something inside each of us that wants to be, you know, you know, make a make a big splash. So in in his tips, he says, um, you know, one of the the top tip he gives is to spend time with friends who are not in tech or startups. And I, I guess it's a good point because if you if you are just talking to people in tech, then it's kind of it's amplifying the importance of the kind of things that you'll talk about in tech. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's going to give you more perspective. Do you do you mix with a lot of people who aren't aren't in tech? Me? Yeah. I mostly mix with people who aren't in tech. I mean, the only people that I converse with who are technical would be the guys at Uber. You yeah. and you and Guyon, and then whoever you know we talked to on the show. I mean, in, in normal life, nobody I run into has anything to do with these worlds, which is to me is is good because I don't get burned out on it. I know when I feel like when I go up to San Francisco and to work with Uber and up there a few days, and I'm just going and having dinner with people I know who maybe we met from the show or who are all doing technical stuff. I, after a few days of that, I get a little burnt out. I'm just like, ugh, you know, it's like it's just too much. I think I think I I suffer to this a little bit because I moved over from the UK, so mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know most of the friends I have are virtual. Um, really, it's it's just Georgie and her friends and family who aren't tech. Everyone else I socialize with is tech and is online, so I probably am suffering with this one a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, I think part of it is well, of course, I have kids, so that means you know you're doing stuff with them and, and, and their activities, right? Take them yeah. to baseball games or, you know, soccer sports or swim class or whatever the hell it is. And you're sure talking to parents and they're all, you know, they're all doing whatever they're doing, which is nothing to do with tech. And, and so, but the other thing is also being involved with other things and um, being other activities for me, obviously soccer was one of my big things. And, you know, I don't know, I mean, you know, maybe you should uh, get back doing music like you were. Yeah, I should probably pick up it, but that's very similar because it's entrepreneurial for me—the whole music thing. Mm, right? Um, yeah, you can't, it's, not, it's not casual. It's not like you get out and just have fun like once or twice a week or something. You get out and, and, and jam and do stuff. It, it, for you, it immediately turns into let's start a band and let's. No, you know, it always it, starts into a bit. And Georgie makes fun of me about this because if she ever does something like let's say let's say she cooks an amazing meal, right? And it's and it's like this. I'm like, you should start a company that just sells this. <laughs> like, I always try and turn it into a business in my mind. I don't know. I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of obsessed about it. It's probably a bit of a problem. Yeah, I have that problem too. I'd be, I have to admit, I start, uh, I start, uh, and Sandy's like, will you quit projecting on other people? I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Because she, 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 you keep telling people they should go start a business or do this, and you get them all excited about doing stuff, but that's not really in their it's not skills. in their psyche. Yeah. It's not who they are. They don't have the skills, but you're getting them all, you know, worked up. She's like, it's just, just chill out. Let them do whatever they're going to do. And so I know I do the same thing. Hmm. But uh, so, Anyway, I would suggest if you are feeling burnout, <laughs> figure out whatever the hell else you like to do that doesn't have anything to do with tech and then just try and force yourself to do that a couple times a week. Because I think the fact that you don't, that you stay in your house most of the time and work on code. And then the only times you go out is go take a walk or go out to dinner. That isn't enough of a break. Well, the next, next thing he says is go for a lot of walks, which is something that I just happened to have recently started. So yay. <laughs> That's good. Better than nothing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, don't, I guess we don't need to uh, 
talk too much about that. Um, next one he says is to go visit some of your customers in person. And I, I think this is good because um, it get it it does kind of get you out of your head a little bit. It gets you out of what you think you're working on, and it also makes it it that it's that same thing. You know how when we say, "Oh, we've only got a thousand listeners," but then we go to a a show and there's like two hundred people in the room, and it's like, "Wow, two hundred people is a huge amount of people. We've got a thousand listeners." It's that kind of thing, like. You, customers, if you're not actually talking to them, they can just seem like a number in a database. But when you speak to them, you realize, oh, wow, each one of those is a, an entire person with an entire life who uses my product and my product fits into their life somewhere. And it gives much better perspective about that. Yeah, two things I want to say about that. First, we have more than a thousand listeners. I think we have, <laughs> I think, I think closer to 1,500. Okay. And sometimes I think 1,500 is probably a fair a fair estimate of like our, of our, of our base number. Sometimes we get above that on a big push. Um, so the second thing I would say is when you go talk to people, see, I think what problems is that when you're, when you're just, you're just sitting in your office working on your stuff, it's just all so abstract. And then you start questioning the value you're, you're bringing or whatever. But when you go talk to people and you realize that they're actually helping them, you're actually helping them, you're actually delighting them that you're changing or impacting their life, that you, you feed off that enthusiasm. And that's why when we get emails from people uh, in comments on the blog saying, hey, you know, I enjoy your podcast. I've gotten a lot out of it. I've worked on my own project now. And, you know, because of what you guys talked about, it's helped me push forward, that kind of stuff. It actually helps, right? I mean, that makes me want to do the podcast more. Whenever I start feeling like, eh, I don't know, man, this is a lot of work. I mean, should I keep doing this? And then we get like two or three of those emails. I'm like, all right, yep, got to do that show. I got a call from a customer yesterday who said, I just tried the new version of Plugio and I absolutely hate it. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and really? like it's one of my oldest customers who's given one of the, you know, who's been constantly paying a high value, been a very high value customer and just said absolutely hates it. Thinks that it's just horrible, doesn't understand it, thinks that it's way too cluttered, there's way too much information on the page, doesn't understand how to navigate it. It's it's a real conundrum, and and the thing is, it, basically, it it's exactly the same. I mean, the whole UI is the only difference is the the color and and the design is just upgraded. It's it's I think that it's like, I guess it's like Windows to Mac, or something like that. It's like yeah. some people just really get used to it, like they just love the dark background, and that makes it easier for them to understand or something. Well, um, I think I think that um, you know. We don't, it's, it, people, we like to pretend that we like change, that we're open to new things, but we're really not. <laughs> we kind of like things the way we like them, unless we don't like them, if we, we, we're, we change them ourselves proactively. But if it's like, it's something that you didn't ch- choose to change, like he didn't choose for Pro Plugio to change. Yeah. It just changed on him. And so now he's like, damn it, you know, I like the way it was, and I don't understand what this stupid icon is, and I don't, yeah. you know. And, like, and it, he, it, yeah. He, he, you took, he, it wasn't his choice. And so, yeah, I mean, you remember like when you, you hear all those uproars and like Facebook would change some small thing or Twitter and everybody would flip out, you know, because of these small changes. And it's just, I, you know, that's just going to happen, I think. I don't think you can avoid that. I think the only thing you can, you know, do is probably talk to your customers and try and find out if you did make a mistake and make something worse. But with him, I guess, if you felt like it, you could spend some time with him and say, hey, let me walk you through it and explain how everything's the same, see if I can help you. And well, actually, that's what, George, it's funny, that's what George, so what, what I've, I've got the old version running and the new version running side by side now. So on plugio.com is the old version, on plug.io is the new version. George, and so, so everyone who, I still haven't kind of forced the migration across, so some people mm-hmm. are still sticking with the old version. 
Um, Georgie said that probably what I should do is actually put together a video that puts them side by side and help people transition from one to the other and explain how really they are the same, even though they look different and they, are, they do have the same navigation layout and they do work the same way. Um, and I think that's probably a good idea rather than just forcing everyone over. But he's, he basically said, if you're not keeping the old version open, I'm not going to be your customer anymore. And, you know, that's that's depressing to hear when someone's been a customer for two years. Uh, obviously, I, he, he's like, I understand, you know, I, I said, the thing is that because the one use case that he has is he like manages 20 Twitter accounts. So he's, right. us, he's using it for that. So he doesn't want to go to Hootsuite and spend 1500 a year to manage 20 Twitter accounts. So he's using it for, a, I guess, a better value version of that. Um, but the thing about it is, even though he's using it that way, I have other customers. It, well, what, the way that we, the majority of people who use it aren't using it for that. The majority of people who are just frustrated with Twitter and want something slightly better, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like, there's only three people using it or, or five people using it like him. So, so he's like, yeah, well, I understand that. So you, you want to sell to more little guys and the kind of medium little guys like me, you don't care about so much. But anyway, I'm probably not going to be a customer of you if you don't keep the old one open. He wasn't happy anyway. It wasn't a great conversation. Did you, did you, you didn't offer to sort of walk him through it and see if you could, you know, because I, I, I don't know. I, oh, I, I did. My- I totally did. I, I said, I, I said, if you just, just let me get through these, uh, this next week, I've got a lot to do and then I can circle back to you and we can walk through it together. And he was like, <laughs> no, no, this, this version is so bad. I don't want anything to do with it. Mm, well, some people, I mean, sometimes people just have emotional reactions to things. And, and, and when people are emotional, logic and reason and calm conversations sometimes aren't enough. It's just, you just, you have emotional reaction and then you're sticking to your guns and that's just it. And that he right. might, that may be the case here and might, with him. He might just have decided he's pissed off and that it changed on him and he doesn't want to learn something new. And, I, you know, I, we're all like that sometimes. There's always times where we're all irrational, just like, oh, I hate it, I'm not doing it. You know, and there, it's there has, stupid. Yeah. There has been a few customers. I mean, I would say about four customers have sent emails saying, I hate it. Hate it. And you, as, as, a, as a business owner, you're like, oh, no, these people hate it. But I'm reminded of the music business. Um, I remember speaking to an A&R guy who said actually one of the most important reactions you can get from your music is for people to absolutely hate it. Because if people hate your music, it means that other people are going to absolutely love your music. If, if people generally have a tepid reaction, then people are going to generally have a tepid reaction and your music's never going to get anywhere. It's like uh, meh is the kiss of death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> meh. That's pretty weird. Yeah. Meh is the kiss of death. I, I, I think um, that's probably true. Um, I think Kathy Sierra has said that a lot you know kathy sierra she does like i think she runs the company does like those heads head first to you know books head first job head first design patterns all that stuff um and she would talk about that so like you want you want a product that polarizes um yeah. and yeah you hear a lot of people talk about that i think 37 signals say opinionated software apple does that whatever um yeah you know i just i guess you just have to kind of just see what the numbers are if like you know a large number of people hate it then you might actually have just 
done something stupid. If a very small number of people hate it, well, it just it just might just be the collateral damage. You know, you just you try to improve things. If you, if you make a significant improvement, there's a significant change, and a significant change, there's people. So there's going to be some people who are just going to get lost, and and you're just going to lose them. And uh, well, there's definitely a large no. number of customers who've come back and said, "Oh, I absolutely love it. It's so fantastic. It's much cleaner. It's much easier to use." So really? yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, you know, I guess just go with it, and I don't know. I mean, that's that might also be a um, a argument for not making massive changes, kind of more iterative, because then you know you can bring more people along, and people get used to things as they go along. You know, it's like you know, it's like little kids. You're trying to get them to eat something new. You can almost, if you have a picky eater, you can almost not just say you can't force them to like it. You can almost not even force them to eat it. What you can do is just get them used to having a little bit on their plate. They have to take one taste of it, and then later on one bite, and they get a reward. And after a while, it's just they start eating it. And you just have the power of gradualism. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, sometimes maybe that's – I mean, in your case, maybe it just wasn't um, feasible. Maybe it just it was such a massive change that you felt there was no way but to uh, burn the boats and, uh, and start something new. But So now, now we're talking about Plugio. I guess I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, mm-hmm. So for two weeks with Company 52, um, we have been focusing on Plugio, generally speaking, mm-hmm. apart, from, apart from paid custom work. So before we had uh, four different products that we were focusing on, um, well, four, four products that we weren't focusing on, and now we decided to focus on one product to bring that to revenue as much as possible. What is amazing is once we've actually started focusing on one product, focusing on the marketing of that product, it's incredible just how much work there is to do, way more than I even realized that there is to do. And it's amazing to me that anyone ever considers focusing on more than one product. It just seems kind of crazy. There is so much to do and so much that you can do to, when, if you're just focusing on one product. So that's been a pretty big, this whole focus thing has been a pretty big awakening for me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. And uh, as I say, as I work on two plus projects, <laughs> right. you know, it's like, but for me, I think for Apping Night, just to, it's like, I, I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm where I am now. So, you know, with Guyon, as I've said, I've committed to, you know, we, we kind of did this together. You know, I can't quit on him and I don't want to, I don't want to throw away the value we've created. And so in the end, we may end up creating an internal power tool, which just takes much less work to maintain than say an external tool that you're trying to grow as a business, right? It's probably maybe 10% of the effort, <laughs> Yeah, is all the marketing and customer service and all that stuff. It's just it just dwarfs the actual coding. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think probably it's you know ideally you have one core project you're working on, and then occasionally you might do like a weekend one-off fun learning project. At most, it's like a show hacker news. Hey, look what I built! Kind of cool, you know. And then go back to your 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 regular thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm glad to see it. So are you seeing? Um, okay, well you're. You say you're folk. You guys are all focusing on this, and you're talking about how much more work there is. But what um, are, are you making more progress? I mean, is it significant? Is there any difference in how much headway you're making? Well, the, yeah, there's definitely a difference in how much headway. Um, let, let, I mean, let me read out the kind of things that that we've been doing, and you'll see sort of how much work there is if if you if I explain some of the details, so that it's kind of breaking apart the miracle function of what we've been doing since moving over. Would that be useful? Yeah, unpacking the miracle function. Unpacking the miracle. So, for example, so the, the, so the first thing is I wanted to move to the plug.io domain. Um, this was uh, the suggestion of uh, Paul Pates um, from Innovative Disruption, who suggested that plug.io as a domain was kind of cool for two reasons. First of all, 
it seems a bit cooler. Um, and second of all, because then it can also double up as a link shortener. And I think it's a good idea and I like it. So we, we had, we had decided to do that. So obviously there's the work involved in moving from one domain to another, okay. um, getting the SSL stuff for that. But then also we moved Plugio to a load balancing deployment so that now it's load balanced. It's running off any number of servers that we can kind of dynamically add. So obviously that's a big deal, right? Right. And then making, so it was just running on one server before. And also we've, we've abstracted the database. So the database has its own server now as well. So obviously that takes work. Um, Then that requires a new type of deployment system so that when you deploy, you know, when you commit your code, it basically goes out to the correct servers at the correct time and, then also the staging system works differently when you've got load balancing stuff going on. Um, and then working with a team, we had to make sure that all of the individual developers had Plugio running locally. Um, moving to a whole new design and a whole new branding, we had to make sure that Plugio's branding is consistent across all social networks. So Facebook, you know, had to create a Facebook page and do all that side of thing. Um, then also ju- you think, oh, changing the brand, changing the design. Okay, just change the website. But it's not just that. Then there's also all of the email marketing stuff. Um, there's, a, there's a plug your email course, the stats by email, the homepage. Um, and then another, another thing that we had to do, to, to stop me if this is getting boring. Is this getting boring? No, go on. Okay. Another thing we had to do was to, I, I've basically based on what we learned at MicroConf, what I learned at MicroConf is I'm rethinking and moving away from the whole paid thing back to freemium. So then it's, it's essentially doing a very deep dive into all the statistics in the table for the last, in statistics in the database for the last couple of years about what paying customers do, what the plan should be, recreating the plans and pricing based on a freemium model. You know what I'm saying? So okay, because before it was paid only. Now yes. it's freemium, meaning that you have free accounts that will have minimal features or, or, or quotas on what our minimum or, or maximum amount of, I don't know, tweets or accounts that they can do. And then yes. they, otherwise they pay. So freemium versus paid only. Now it's, it's, it's always had free. It's always had one free account, but it was just so small that it, it, it was completely incon- inconsequential. But now we need to kind of re-examine the business model and we're thinking, okay, we need a hundred thousand users to kind of bring in $50,000 revenue a month. That's the sort of lines that we're thinking along at this point. Um, so that's 100,000 freemium users. So then it's, you know, rethinking that through, rethinking how you're going to market it that way, um, rebuilding the copy, reworking the plans of pricing, um, just all that kind of stuff. Plus also we've realized that one of the big things that people want is the kind of the buffering aspect. So that's like a very, very big point about Plugio. And we haven't executed as well as the company Buffer. So we're... Uh, basically creating browser extensions so that you can buffer it properly, creating a really good bookmarklet so that you can buffer it properly. And each one of those things requires a lot of time and attention to detail and to make sure that that thing works with the whole load balanced environment. <laughs> so it, it, right. it, it just kind of unravels. And then, and then there's, you know, more customer stuff. So uh, the, another thing is, is that ping FM, which basically posts at the moment does the post to all the social network uh, is, is being pulled down. So they're getting rid of this. So now we have to write our own integrations. Well, we either get, write our own integrations or we go with seismic ping. Actually, this, okay. is, this is a good question I want to ask you. So seismic ping um, basically is 
Ping FM have now moved to Seismic Ping. And what they're saying is that the end customers are going to have to pay to use this thing so that it can post to these other places. So I'm thinking better to bring that value to Plugio and we'll write our own Facebook integration and our own LinkedIn for integration directly mm-hmm. into Plugio versus using this seismic ping thing where customers will have to pay. What do you think? Sounds reasonable. Okay. So we have to do that. And um, then there's just, ah, to be honest, there's just that that's just the beginning. <laughs> Wow. What I described as the beginning. And then, when, you know, when you go into each different level, because Plugio itself is a few different apps, like it's, and this is a mistake, but anyway, this is what it is. It's a Twitter app, it's a, an RSS app, and it's a scheduling app. You know, it has all of those. Oh, and also it's a friend, a friend uh, growth app. So it has those four different components. And each, each app requires a little bit more building, you know, because it exponentially needs to be better each app. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, well, it's got to work cut out for you. It looks like, well, how do the uh, Company 52 guys feel about focusing on one app? Are they, they excited about it? Are they seeing progress? Because you convinced them to, to put on hold these other projects and to <laughs> focus like, on Plugio. It was like that, um, what, what's that Hitchcock movie? The, like The Twelfth Man or something? So this, oh, it's like Twelve Angry Men, or was yeah, it something it's, like that? I can't, was that the old movie with like a bunch of jurists, and there's one guy, a jur- yeah. jur- and one guy who was on, who who convinced everyone to change their mind or something. That's what it's like. Yeah, it was like that. So we so we sort of got onto this call, and then like four hours later, gradually one by one, they fell. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Look at you. <laughs> um, but now we're we're sort of two weeks into it, and 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 really the the thing is was to give it a try. You know, to give it a try. I, I didn't. I never said at any point we have to give up everything for all time. It's just let's just try this. Let's see what happens. Well, so, what did, did you pick? Like a time? Like we're going to focus on this for a month or three months or you know? Well, I um, long term three months to give it a three month trial, but before that, give it a one month trial. So at the end of one month, see if we're making any progress whatsoever, and determine whether we're going to go the full three months. Okay, I think that's fair enough. Yeah. I mean. It, I mean, I, I, that's a reasonable thing to say. All you have to do is convince them for just give me a month. Yeah. And if I'm a, if I'm an idiot and I'm completely wrong, it's a total waste of time. You can all like, you know, yell at me and then we'll move on to other stuff and I'll be quiet. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know? one of the, one of the biggest arguments that I had is that when you're focusing on one thing, it gives you more time. If, if you're focusing on four things, what's very unlikely to happen is you'll be in the shower and you'll have a clever thought about one of those four things. If you're focusing on one thing, it's it's the thing that's in your brain. It's it's the problem. It's the one problem that you have that you're thinking about all the time. So therefore, you're going to get into the detail and you're going to think about really clever stuff about that one thing. Yeah, well, Paul Graham had a term for that. I forget what it is, but he says you, that's why he wasn't working on your top idea. They work, he, that was the way he described it. Always be working on your top idea for that very reason. He had a nice essay about it. Huh. Um, type in Paul Graham top idea and, and, and there's a fun essay about it Came it's out funny how here. sometimes I come to the same conclusions as Paul Graham yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> it, just, it reminded me of um, it, 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 I don't know it's just, I guess this isn't that related but it just kind of reminded me of, of, of a passage in uh, Steve Jobs um, biography which I just finished reading it's actually the reverse. So normally Steve Jobs seemed like he would get his way, but there was a, there was a time when he, there was 
three of his top lieutenants were convincing him that they needed to put iTunes on Windows. And he hated that idea, right? Because he, he, he wants to control the entire experience, the entire stack, hardware, the software, everything. And he finally, he finally just says, screw it. I'm sick of listening to you assholes. Do whatever you want. Because <laughs> it was like week after week, they're coming, like, they're coming up with all these numbers and we got to do this. It was just so funny. I'm sick of listening to you assholes. Whatever. <laughs> so funny. And of course, it turned out to be a big win. Yeah. By the way, so, um, well, I don't know. Are you want to talk about Pluggy or can we uh, do you want to move on? Well, we, could, I, we, we were mid-thought, but now you made me forget what that mid-thought was. Just stay on one, one, uh, stay on one topic and stay focused because it's your top idea, and you have, yeah, you know. Oh yeah, well, the, yeah. So, so then, just um, I guess just to wrap it up, two we're we're two weeks into it, and it's allowed each each person because what I did was I I tried to pick each person and give them things that I felt that they would be really good at within within focusing on this product. So it's allowed each of those each person to kind of get very focused and very specialist in one subsection of the whole effort. And people actually are really happy about that because it's, it's just enabled them to get better at something. Yeah, well, you, you set people up to succeed. You know, you frame a problem in just the right way to appeal to their, their skill set, but also to their sort of emotional disposition, their personality. Yeah. Like what, you know, what excites certain people. Some people are excited by, you know, design and people excited by new technology or whatever it is and um yeah you set you, if you if you set if you frame things the right way you can dramatically increase the probability that uh people are gonna really dig into it and have fun so uh we're done with that move on we are done with that all right move on so i yeah i just finished uh reading uh the steve jobs biography okay i was actually i thought it was really good <laughs> it was funny because i I went and looked on, um, at first I was looking uh, for another book on Amazon because I was getting close to finishing it and I was figuring out what I wanted to order. And, you know, I had like, a lot, like, several of the books I looked at had like four stars. And, and, and there was a fair number of one-star ratings to these books. And I was like, wow, man, maybe I shouldn't get this book. These people seem to hate it or they think it's really sucked or whatever. And uh, then I, and I just went and clicked on the Steve Jobs biography and there were a lot of one-star reviews on it, and I could, which I couldn't believe. You know, I mean, I was like, how could that get one star? Like, one star means it's an absolute crap book, right? Mm-hmm. I can understand how, like, with any book, there are people who disagree with some of the perspectives or the, maybe a writing style or, or, or whatever. You know, like, one guy was complaining because he wanted to get more, uh, more of an understanding of Dobbs' ideas on business or something, and... Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But it was weird. It was like, but then you realize that if some people are just angered by one aspect of a book, then so then crap, right? It's not like oh, it's a good book. And obviously, it's a well-written book and comprehensive and all these things. But you know, this was a mistake. Or shouldn't have done this. Four stars, you know. And I just, I don't know. I mean, I guess, um, some people are emotional and they have certain types of, they have a certain type of, of uh, a view of Jobs or Apple one way or the other. And so they just, if if it isn't treated in the way that they want to be treated, then they're just really angry and upset. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. I thought it was really interesting, really interesting read. I got it for a Christmas present and I finally got around to reading it and definitely i think a lot of guys did especially in the tech space i mean i i've i've got i got it for christmas as well and i've had it sitting next to my bed uh, on the bedside table and i've been totally meaning to read it 
I should t- I should definitely get. I mean, the guy to. is a ginormous pain in the butt. <laughs> it sounds like. I mean, but he uh, he definitely got stuff done, and he definitely obviously changed a lot of industries, and whether it was through Apple and Pixar and the music industry and uh, everything, it was just pretty incredible what he was able to do. But do people like him? Um, you mean like all the people who worked with him and, and, uh, I think people had mixed feelings. I think people liked him, but just also knew that he was extremely difficult, very high maintenance. I mean, he's the kind of person who would go to a restaurant and, 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 and send the food back like three times in a row. And he would just be very, um, kind of socially rude and abrupt with people. Um, and, uh, it sounds like, and, and, and that's why a lot of his people he worked with and friends were confused by it because he had, he wasn't like he was, he didn't have any social understanding. I mean, he was really good at, at getting and understanding people's disposition, their psychological disposition and could get them and manipulate them and get them to think a certain way and could make them and charm them. So he was very good at all those things, but then he was, he was also could be completely indifferent and cruel and wound people very easily. So it's interesting. Really- I was just a complicated person, right? I mean, he was kind of an ass, yeah. but he was a, kind of, a, you know, a genius and the, and he was a, a lot of things, but he's a complicated character, but it was, it's a great story. That was really, really well done. I, um, I was one of the first books I've read in a long time where I just want to keep reading. I couldn't put it down. I kept just reading and, you know, sometimes you like it's late and you're just like, you know, you should go to sleep. <laughs> you're just like, all right, one more chapter, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so that was nice. Cause I have a hard time getting myself to read books sometimes. Cause I just lose, I get bored after like 50, 80 pages. And like, <laughs> you know, the, a lot of times these nonfiction books where I feel like would, would have been a good 20, 30 page read, except they stretch it out to 300 pages. And you're yeah. like, all right, come on already. But, you know, I also realized I, I kind of like biographies for that matter because it's a story. All right. So I, don't I, know, I, I, I had something to ask you. Okay. Did you enjoy your solo interview last week? Actually, I did. I, I, um, I thought it went well. You know, I think the uh, I think doing I think having two interviewers is just uh, is just kind of clumsy. Well, I think it's just, I don't know if that, that seems like a blanket statement, right? So saying having two interviews is clumsy. I think it's having two kind of trained radio interviewers who are used to interviewing as a pair and that's their whole job. That's pretty fine because that happens a lot. Like that's, that's not an unusual use case. Is it? Uh, I I don't see that very often. Where do you see that? Well, it happens a lot on radio, on, on Typically on radio, on breakfast shows, you'll have a lot of, um, in fact, you'll have more than two. <laughs> you'll have like, sometimes you have three or four people interviewing the same person. Um, it'll, happen okay. a, it'll happen a lot on TV chat shows um, where you'll have two people interviewing like, you know, the, the mid, midday shows. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I always just felt, at least for us, it was, it was, uh, it was difficult. And I, and I realized that, you know, it's partially my fault because I talk so much and I took, I sucked a bunch of the bandwidth, but, uh, I always felt like because we can't, we can't see each other. I can't get any non-visual cues that aren't distracting because like the only way I can know something is if you ping me on Skype, which totally throws me off. Yeah. But is if, if you and I were sitting in a room and I could see your face and I could see that you were getting ready to ask something, it would be very easy for me to just let, to go, oh, okay, he just wants to say something. But when I can't see you, <laughs> and I don't know if you want to ask something or not. And so we end up talking over each other. I don't know. I mean. Yeah. I and that's, that's basically the bulk of what my editing is, is to, is to remove when we talk over each other. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought it would, well, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll run this as an experiment. I mean, you'll do, I think we should probably do 
at least two or three interviews. Well, I wanted to interview Ramit, uh, Ramit Seti, and I, I, I emailed Ramit. Ramit. I emailed him, and uh, he, he, he sent a message saying, you know, he's really busy right now and wouldn't have time to do it. <laughs> so, as usual, my cold calling turns up trumps. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, well, uh, well you just uh, well that's the thing you know I I've definitely emailed people who refused to who, who never responded I definitely you know had that happen um, a number of times so like uh, well you're lucky that you got a response I mean there's a fair number of people who just never responded well he said Nothing. he'd like to do the show he was just really busy right now um, uh, yeah so I, I mean I the the one thing is we want to interview different kinds of people right so this is this will probably work out better for our listeners I mean. I'm a lot more interested in interviewing entrepreneurs and bootstrappers, I think, than you are. You're more into some of the other stuff. Um, so, because, would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, well, I think you're really focused. I've noticed that you just, you're focused into what you're working on. And so you want to interview people where you're going to learn something that's going to help you solve the problems that you're trying to solve. Yeah. Um, I'm like that to a degree, but I'm also just kind of generally interested in other related stuff. And, um, but I think it's a good mix so we can flip back and forth. So, um, in, I think it's better. You, you interview the people you really excited to interview and I'm, and I get to interview people I'm excited about interviewing. I mean, it's not, it's not great when I want to bring someone on and you could care less and vice versa. Well, if there's any, um, of those kinds of, uh, bootstrappy type people that, that the listeners would think I should, the listeners think I should interview, uh, give me a shout point someone out and I'll, uh, I'll send them an email and see if I can not get a rejection. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a huge list. I'll, I'll, I'll forward you a list of the suggestions people made in different points. Yeah. People you've never even tried to contact that you might want to email. Sure. Um, uh, the, someone I'm setting up interview with is a guy who wrote the, uh, um, it's like writing Facebook games or something. It's like, mm-hmm. how, you know, about yeah, writing games for Facebook. I thought that might be kind of interesting. Um, that whole world. I've never, I've never done anything like that. And we haven't talked to anybody who's done anything like that. So that might be kind of cool. Yeah. I had a few others that I was thinking of, but I can't, they're, they're, I'm blanking on them, but uh, I don't know. I, I, see the, the benefit to our listeners is that we'll do more interviews <laughs> because it's less work um, for you. If you know, like in the last interview, you just listened to it in the background a little bit and then turned off when you were just working the whole time. Mm-hmm. I even went out for half an hour. Right. So, Whereas a lot of, more generally, you've been like not so interested in doing the interviews. So when I set up interviews, you're like, I thought we weren't going to do interviews. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought what happened at break, we were going to take for interviews. And uh, so. Well, we did know. decide we were going to just, we were just going to go to a weekly discussion show. Yeah. And then what happened at different times is people contacted us or we got something that just popped up and it was like, you know, Jason Cohen, you know, meeting him at microconf and, and talking about having him come on. And I was like, well, we should just jump on that and get mm-hmm. him on. And, you know, sometimes you just, it's just sort of those opportunities. You get an opportunity to do an interview that, you know, our listeners are going to like, and you're like, all right, well, we should just do it. And, um, I don't, or like this one with the high frequency trading guy, um, James. I mean, you know, I that was a an email out of the blue from my buddy Ken, who works at the um, works for him mm-hmm. um, at Headland. Said, hey, you know, James was, I was talking to James, and he thought it'd be cool to come on the show. And so, you know, I mean, yeah, you just, just jump on those things. And then on the, again, the, the Facebook games. I got I got an email, for, or I think both got an email from the um, whoever the the PR person for A Press is, who said he was telling us about the book he just wrote. So. I don't know. I mean, sometimes you just jump on stuff. I mean, it's not like I'm going out of my way to, to um, schedule interviews always. It's sometimes it's just like good opportunity falls in your lap and it would be kind of silly just to not take advantage. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I I think like we talked about change. I mean, some people are not going to like it and there are some people who like it more and probably most people really won't care that much. <laughs> so, All know. right. Well, so um, I'll, I'll bring up another topic. Um, just- I, I actually, I have a few things I want to talk about before that are kind of, um, that aren't topics, but things that I think that are more, uh, be interested. Okay, sure. Well, I've got, I've just let you know, I've got about half an hour left. So we've okay. recorded, recorded an hour and I've got another half an hour. And we got any food, and we got any food to talk about. Oh yeah, about. good point. So, okay, so right. let's um before we just get into a bunch of random things. Um, so um, did you uh, did you buy any Facebook shares? I uh, no, I didn't. I would have liked to, but I didn't. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. So, well, I'm sitting there watching. Um, I was sitting there eating my breakfast, watching um, watching some uh, Bloomberg. Um, which is like one of the only news shows that I can watch without just like wanting to stab myself in the eye because of superficiality. Yeah. And not that it's not superficial. It's just like I know this, the slant. So it's like, uh, okay, you know. And, and, and the problem is I used to, I used to like read Hacker News in the morning, but the kids pretty much take the computer and they're, they're doing their thing, so I never get to use it anymore. <laughs> the one, the, at least our laptop that's sitting at the breakfast bar. Yeah. So I'm sitting here watching it, and they're talking about the Facebook thing, and I've been hearing it nonstop, and I was like, you know, people are so excited about this. I said, it's probably going to pop. You know, yeah. No matter what, even if people think it's silly and it doesn't make any sense and it shouldn't be valued at a hundred times earnings or revenue or whatever it is, as like you know, it's just even a lot of professionals are like, even if they're kind of saying, thinking that it's it's not going to be long term the value that people think it is, no one wants to bet against it in the short run. So I, I yelled over to Sandy and I'm like, hey, she's in the kitchen, I think, and I said, do do something, and I go, hey, what? Well, what, what, what do you say we buy some Facebook shares? I mean, this thing's going to pop. And she's like, well, I, yeah, what? And I don't know. And I'm like, look, let's just put in a couple limit orders. If it pops, we'll just jump on, ride a little bit, and get out. I mean, I was like, not, we won't put a whole, whole lot of money, but it was just kind of like, it's like a cultural event, right? Yeah. Like, just to say, like, hey, yeah, I, you know, I rode that train a little bit. So I, I think we put a couple thousand dollars, about a See, couple thousand dollars. I, I wish I knew how to do that because I would have done it if I'd have known. I mean, I would have. Uh, I, I guess I probably should have asked you. Well, see, I knew I. I should have done it. The Google when the when Google went public was the same thing where I yeah. was like, you know, I should probably hop on this thing just put a little bit. It'd be fun to be a part of it, and then I didn't, and then I kind of regretted it. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to put a whole bunch of money on it. So I, I, um, you know, Sandy, uh, Sandy put it was supposed to open at 38. Yeah, and then they to forty two, and I said, "Well, let's put a limit order buy at forty five. And Sandy was like, "Well, because Sandy has done some trading, we we do before, so she knows how to trade, which is kind of funny." <laughs> um, when we yeah, so she's like, "Well, I don't, I think she's like, I think it might. I don't think we're going to get filled at forty five. She's like, I think we should put it at uh, at uh, fifty. She's like, I think it's going to gap up. And so I said, "Well, let's split up half our buy at forty five and half at fifty, and it opened up. But the thing is, kept getting delayed." And then we and then we put in our orders, and then the opening kept being delayed, and then our orders were um, in there, and then um, nothing happened. Like they weren't they weren't being acknowledged that we we're filled or anything. Mm. It's like an hour or two. Usually, it would happen instantaneously. Yeah, right. And you're 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 filled, you know, or especially if it hits your price or or, or whatever. Um, and since we were willing to buy, it opened and it was like at forty two. It, it didn't pop like I thought it was going to pop. And it was hanging around 40, 41, 42, and then went down a little bit to like a little bit above 38. And, um, but because I was willing to, our limit orders were to buy at 45 and 50, I was like, well, we automatically got filled, right? And we didn't find out until five o'clock at night that we got filled at like 41 something, 50 something, 41.50, I guess. And where's it at right now? Um, I think it's like 
40 or something. I, I don't remember. Something I want to put a thousand on it. Can you show me how to do it? Yeah. Well, do you have an account on like, um, no, you don't have any trade. Can or... I give you a thousand? Can you be my broker? No. Why not? <laughs> you just set up your own account. I'll, I'll walk you through it. It'll take you five minutes. Just, well, you do it yourself. Just go to, uh, you know, Options Express. I don't or know how to do that. Help me. Just, just and do it with me. I will, I will screen share. I'll okay, let's screen through. share and do it together. I don't know how to do that stuff. I can't wrap my brain around it. It just hurts too much. So easy. It's okay. so simple. So anyway, we got filled at 41, but it was just so weird because something screwed up. The, I guess the SEC is going to look into it because there was a, there was a bunch of bunch of weird things are going on. People weren't getting their execution messages, and I, I don't know. It was just there's a lot of delays, so some some funky happened. I, I mean, it may just be Nasdaq, might have been technology technology issue of some kind. But so well, so let's say you'd have bought Google. What uh, and what Google opened at something like twenty five or something was it? Yeah, I don't know something in that. And like now that. it's worth a couple of hundred. No, it's worth like. 550, 600. I don't know. It's somewhere in the last couple of years, it's between 550 and 700. So, so probably- yeah. So if you'd have, if you'd have put a thousand on that, that would now be worth. You'd have a big fat smile on your face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way I felt is like, okay, you know, worst case it drops down to like, you know, it was a 38 and it drops down to 30. Yeah. 20, 30, you know, you'd lose some money. You might lose five. And you know, I said, if we put a couple thousand, maybe we lose 500 bucks or something. I was like, eh, you know, I think there's bigger upside than there is downside on this. And I think it'd be, I, was, I wasn't so worried about losing 500 bucks, but I would be kind of disappointed if the thing popped up to, eight, to 80 at the end of the day and it closed at like 50 something. And like, I knew it was going to happen. I was like, this thing's going to pop. <laughs> and I didn't do it, Yeah. you know? And of course it didn't pop, you know, but, uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I don't know which we lost, not, you know, very little, you know. All right, well, so on Monday... Um, at the beginning of our AnyFoo working session, you can help me set that up if that just sure. takes five minutes. Would you sure. think that the? Do you think it will still be relatively the same price on Monday? Or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks like it. it I'm sure it will be. And I mean, I, who who know? I mean, nobody knows for sure. But I don't. If it didn't, if it didn't make a huge pop with with all of the uh, all of the cheerleading and all of the anticipation, if it wasn't going to pop on uh, Friday, it's not going to probably pop on Monday much. I mean, it might jump a little bit one or it might drop. Who knows? But Okay. I just, I, oh, it's like this. Don't bet what you're not willing to lose. I was like, I'm willing, you know, I'm like, we're, we'll put a couple thousand in knowing that it's possible to lose 500 bucks. I was willing to lose 500 bucks. Yeah. Okay. The biggest deal. So only put in what you were like, you know, it's not going to go to zero, <laughs> but it could drop five bucks. So you could lose, you might lose a few hundred bucks. If th- th- losing 500 bucks is going to make you cry, don't do it. You know what we should do? We should put my thousand just before we release the show. Then we're going to release the show. And because we have such a huge influence, all these people are going to invest in Facebook and then the price is going to go way up there and then we sell. <laughs> Keep dreaming. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. So okay, I, got, I, got another, I got something else to tell you about. Go on, what? So I got an email from uh, Jeff Welpley, who um, is the CTO over at Mesh, Mesh01. Yeah. And, uh, I think I've mentioned this before. Jeff, Jeff is, Jeff's been a uh, AnyFu client. He hired... Uh, Don Felker and um, who else here? Alex uh, McCaw. Yep. Um, so, and, and, and Jeff, just to background, he used to play for my soccer team back a few years back. Mm-hmm. And um, so, anyway, he, uh, he guess he, he mentioned to a few of the, uh, I guess, the, the guys who run the company there, um, uh, he mentioned to them about the Lux Surface Area concept. Yeah. 
And they loved it. He said that now they're what they've decided to do. They they liked it so much that they're going to create a a T-shirt design contest for the Lux Surface area. Oh wow, Lux Surface area. So they're like they because I guess yeah they just they liked the concept. They thought they liked the T-shirts for themselves, and I guess they wanted to come up with some kind of a, a branding thing. And uh, he emailed me. He's like, "Do would you mind? Do you think is that okay?" And I'm like, "Sure, <laughs> sounds." You know, that's fine with me. And then he sent me another email this morning. He's like, hey, do you want to be a, um, a, a guest judge for it? And I'm like, sure. No. <laughs> why wouldn't Why wouldn't I be? It's my yeah. meme. <laughs> Sounds cool. So yeah, I, nice. It's just Great. Funny. Congratulations, man. Increasing your luck surface area has. So anybody who has is new to the show, I mean, I, I wrote a, um, a, was it something, we came up with the, uh, we were talking with um, uh, Gabriel Weinberg. It might have been our first interview. And I, I mentioned, I said something that's kind of like you're trying to increase your luck surface area. And that's where the whole thing came from. And then a few people started writing. Lance Jones wrote a blog post about it. And then I, I decided to write like a definitive, like this is what this is what your luck surface area is. And this is how you increase it. Yeah. So that's kind of what it is. Awesome, and man. That's great. It seems to be kind of a, a junior level meme <laughs> in the tech world. You know? I, think, I think it's going all the way. Yeah. Well, I think out of, out of one to four, I, you know, four being like something major, like crowdsourcing or something, it's like a one. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's very, but it's, uh, it's still kind of, kind of cool that um, it's got a little bit of a life. So um, the next thing, um, do you see that SpaceX w- was, was scheduled to launch its, I think it's a Didn't Falcon. make it though, right? It was canceled at the last second. So it was scheduled to to launch, and 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 if all its maneuvers went correctly, it was going to deliver cargo to the International Space Station mm-hmm. um, on that flight. So they were going to, I guess, it was going up there. It was going up into orbit, and it was going to do some maneuvers. And if NASA and SpaceX felt good about it, and they said, "All right, they're going to try and do the make the connection," but it was canceled at the last second. Um, mm. But uh, it Did looks like why. They don't know. They, at least last time I checked, they, uh, I think there was an update on uh, Hacker News comment thread where someone was updating the almost a minute-by-minute minute, you know, um, feed of what was going on. And uh, I guess they're scheduled again for Tuesday, I think mm-hmm. it might be. Okay. But um, I thought that was, uh, was just such, a, such an amazing thing that a private company is doing this. It yeah. just still blows away. Oh, that's awesome. And they're they're, I mean, they're going to go all the way. They're, they're going to Mars. <laughs> Well, that's that's Elon Musk's of a goal, right? I mean, he's sort of a big, big thinker, big dreamer, big, you know. So, I, I think, I think, in my view, I think Steve Jobs is probably the the greatest entrepreneur of modern times. I mean, I don't know if you go back and talk to you know guys like Ford and um, uh, whatever back in the uh, early part of, of the 20th century, but at least in our our era, I think Jobs is the is the greatest entrepreneur. You know this. And, this does bring in one thing. I'll just bring this very quickly. Something that I want. Let me just finish. So I think, but I think Elon Musk, if he if he continues with what he's done with PayPal, Zip2, PayPal, Solar City, Tesla Motors, and SpaceX, with the, the 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 size of the things he's taken on, the things that are just really against the grain, everybody's you know you know sort of uh, criticizing and saying is it going to work? If that's if this stuff works and he keeps and he succeeds at this, I think he would actually surpass Jobs as the greatest entrepreneur of modern times. Okay. Yeah, I think that's good. That's a good call. Well, it it ties in nicely with a um, a blog. Well, like not really a blog uh, um, on theatlantic.com, an mm-hmm. in, an interview um, between Derek Thompson and Steve Blank, basically where Steve Blank is talking about the golden age of Silicon Valley is over, and right. um, what, one of the, basically what he's saying is is that because companies like Facebook can get total markets approaching the entire popular population of the planet, 
through yep. through social networking. It basically means that if investors have a choice between investing on something like some super cool cancer drug or something like SpaceX or something that's like very cool, but just it it just it doesn't have the same, I guess, explosive appeal like a social network. It means that VCs are just always going to go for the option of oh yeah yeah let's let's do the social network. And he's saying the four most interesting projects in the last five years are actually Tesla, SpaceX, Google Driving, and Google Goggles, which is basically just one individual, uh, Elon Musk, and one company, Google, doing all the interesting things in Silicon Valley right now. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's for for investors who are investing to make a return and not investing uh, out of principle. It's about risk return. Like, how much risk am I taking on to get the desired return? And investing in these biotech and nanotech and something like space exploration, an electric car company. Mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff seems really risky. Like, you know, this mostly that stuff has failed and it's real kind of bleeding edge um, technology, pie in the sky stuff. Whereas this like, you know, hey, we just get a bunch of people on a social network and they share pictures and, and, and chat with each other and maybe make a billion dollars, right? It seems like, you know, it's, it's, it seems like much lower risk. And it, 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 the amount of money it takes to launch these things is less and uh, the return and, and, and they can realize a return much sooner like within a matter of like two, three, four years, as opposed to 15, 10, 15, 20 years. But it's so important. It's so important to make these principled investments. So I don't know, I like it. I think it's true. I think it's a true statement. So what, how are we going to get past it? What are we going to do? And this, this also, I don't know whether you've seen this, but there's a thing on HBO right now called weight of the nation. That's, okay. a, that's a deep dive put together by um, Kaiser Permanente and, and some other company. I can't remember just about the obesity epidemic in America, right? So what's amazing is, is that 30%, no, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's 30% of Americans are obese at this stage. I think um, it's ballpark. I think it's something in the neighborhood for sure. Yeah. I've definitely seen that, something like that number, 30, 35%. But the problem is, is the, the, the thing that they keep on saying is we are moving into a situation where as a nation, we just can't compete because we don't move. <laughs> Like, we just can't compete. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I think Europeans are getting pretty fat these days, too. Well, yeah. I think it's just if this is that, you know, and it's not like the Europeans are all, like, slim and trim and fit, and we're just a bunch of lard asses. I think that they're, the modern, a lot of these Western cultures are, are, are getting more and more that way. And but it's just like Wally. Did you see Wally? Did you show that to your kids? Well, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like at the end where they're just going around and these, these little things, like, that they don't move anymore. People don't move. They're just kind of strapped to a chair. <laughs> And that is the logical conclusion of of, uh, of of where we're going, unless we get some kind of control over this whole um, food marketing feedback. Well, it's, it's I mean, it's always a risk. I mean, it's you, you know, it's always that's always the problem when you extrapolate too far linearly. It's like, well, people are going to get fatter, or the population is going to continue explode. Uh, explode. I mean, there's always sort of pushback from when things get too far out of whack. And, um, but, you know, I think, I think, I'm not sure if it was Stephen Hawking, but he was worried that our biggest challenge about, you know, not going to the stars is that we just get so caught up in our own sort of entertainment with what he called, I can't remember, it was like being trapped inside our own brains, mm-hmm. you know, you know, social networks and simulated environments and, and movies and entertainment, just not looking outward, but looking inward. Yeah being obsessed with the inward and uh, you know it's almost like drugs you know there's people who are on drugs it's like they just take the drugs and they just 
they're, they're fully happy, right? When they're on the drug, they're fully happy. And you can almost think like a lot of our type things that we get obsessed with, these sort of entertainments and, and these, you know, the social media and, uh, and all these things. Not that there's a problem with it, but when, you go, when, you, when it becomes too all-encompassing, you know, or video games or something, I mean, it's like we, we lose motivation to do other things. You're just like, well, I get the, I get the, um, the high that I want or I need in life off of having Twitter followers or becoming a 20th level you know, Elven, you know, um, <laughs> magic user on World of Warcraft, or I, uh, you know, I get all the, I get all high, want to watching, you know, movies or whatever it is, and that you don't actually go out in the world and try and affect things and, 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 and set challenges and, and trying to achieve them. And I think that's, um, yeah. Okay. okay. Just can I bring up one more random thing? I really want to talk about it very quickly. Okay. I want to say something on that though, but you want to come uh, back? I mean, it is, uh, we just, okay, we just went, is, you know, that's what, with it, because I've mentioned how Colby, my, my seven-year-old son, is just absolutely obsessed with rockets and jets and building stuff. Like, that's just, we get up at six in the morning and that's what he's doing. Yeah. And he, he'll come back, he just comes, every time he talks to me, he's like, Dad, so this is what I'm going to build, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm kind of, you know, and I'll say, well, and like, even today, I'm like, Col- Colby, you know, we're going to go to the park. And he's like, well, I don't know, I want to build this thing and I do this stuff. And I'm like, Colby, you can come back and build later. So he's just obsessed. Yeah. But, which is awesome. And he's, he's been like this for, since he was three, right? <laughs> I mean, he's just obsessed. I couldn't, there's, I, I couldn't keep him from wanting to build. He could build like 14 different types of paper airplanes. He builds these extraordinary, you know, Lego con- constructions. And he's always downloading stuff off the internet and building. And it's great. So, but, and so I'm like, you know, one thing I love is that he likes the, the spaceship, you know, rocket stuff. And I'm like, we need kids like that, but we need them not to get, focused it gets sidetracked to doing less ambitious things Mm -hmm. you know you want to get kids who are like that and push them into going and starting the next spacex or being the next big thinker big time rocket designer at a place like spacex doing big things not just doing you know smallish things which that sometimes i look at myself and i'm just like you know i just feel like i'm frustrated i should have done something bigger Mm-hmm. You know, I should have, I should have done something. But the problem is that when you start thinking like that, it's easy to get trapped because most big things start small. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what I was just about to say. You know, and the one thing I would say, one thing about, about that is like, if you look at Elon Musk and it's like, well, you can't just start out as coming out of school or coming to a regular job and say, I'm going to go start SpaceX. You know, Elon Musk started Z, uh, Zip2, which was, I, I can't remember, some kind of a directory or Yellow Pages Online, right? That's not mind-blowing, world-changing was a way to make money. Exactly. And then that, he went to PayPal, which was changing, but it wasn't like, okay, so we make transactions um, more efficient, which is definitely can help change the world in a certain way, but it wasn't like, you know, something like an electric car company or much less a space space company. So he was able to, over time, once he built up his net worth, then he could, then he could say, all right, I'm going to tackle these exactly. big, Big thinking problems as opposed to the small problems. So it's like, and that, and that kind of goes along with that guy who said who was writing How Not to Get Depressed while not running $1 billion company. It's like, how not to get depressed by not chasing a world-changing idea. That's right. That's right. Well, that's what I was saying about get, get your bases met first. Just build something not very interesting, but that makes you money so that you've then got your money and then you can start doing the big things. In fact, Paul Graham's got a quote about this where he's, he's saying, well, not, not about this specifically, but something pretty similar. Um, the popular image of the visionary is someone with a clear view of the future, but empirically, empirically, it's it may be better to have a blurry vision of the future. 
mm-hmm. because that's that's kind of, that's that speaks to the Elon Musk example you just gave there. Like he didn't start in with SpaceX in mind, or maybe maybe he did, but that's not the way he did. he's run his entrepreneurial career. Actually, you know, I, I was just watching an interview with him on um, our, it, was, it was one of these. I, I watch all these shows on the Science Channel, which they have a lot of great ones. Went Stephen Hawking, like a Brave New World. It's like, it seems like every year there's a new series of like science. Um, a new science series and it's like Steve Hawking's Brave New World or Through the Wormhole or whatever and they go and they talk about all this cool science stuff and, one, and this latest one one of the segments they, were t- they were talked about SpaceX and Elon Musk mm-hmm. and, and he, he said in that, in that segment he said that when he was in college actually or even younger he wanted to do something change the world or like what was the best way to improve the world or make things and he thought making the world making the human race interplanetary was the best thing we could do and so he had that in his brain when he was young i don't know if it was high school or college but it was it was young so it wasn't like but we couldn't come out of college and say hey i'm a 22 or 23 and i'm gonna go and try and raise money and start a space company because it's like a background no idea so he's 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 backgrounding until he has the means yeah and, and and that's right and so he had that but so i think he started he was more pragmatic and he said all right here's a way that we can build something successful and i think it kind of reminds me of the guy who started um Jeff Hawkins, I think, who started the Redwood Institute, he 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 started palm computing. He he was interested to to make. He started palm computing to make money, and because he ultimately wanted to do real cutting edge neuroscience work. But when he applied to the different PhD programs in in um, in, in neuroscience to try and understand how to build eventually an artificial brain. They all all kind of laughed and be like, well, we don't do that. You know, they do things like MRIs and try and understand what part of the brain lights up and is affected by certain things, whatever. Or you went to the other side and they would talk to like machine learning people where it's like, oh, we use support vector machines and we try and, you know, reduce error when predicting these, you know, data sets or whatever. And none of that appealed to him. He want, he is way more ambitious. He's like, I want to figure out how to re how to reverse engineer the brain we build it sort of something along the lines of an artificial brain and there was nothing like that that was happening and he couldn't get he, he didn't have the resources to pursue it on his own so he said screw it i'm gonna go and make figure out a way to make money and he saw he came up with the concept of palm computing he saw someone trying to do some handwriting recognition or something like that at some um trade show and thought it was really crap and so that's when he started working on it but then once he had the resources after palm was successful then he started the breadwood institute and um and and started pursuing that and i think the book is something called uh on oh god i can't think of it but it's like um on the brain or on thinking or i'm blanking on it but um but yeah it was the same kind of thing okay i'm running out of time but i've got one thing i want to say and then then we'll do the any food wrap up so I just thought this was really interesting. There's not too much to say about it, but it's just an interesting thing. Um, It was a blog post called Eureka, When a Blow to the Head Creates a Sudden Genius. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's amazing that that there are these things called acquired savants. And Mm -hmm. it just amazes me that a guy who never plays piano can dive into the shallow end of a pool, smash his head on the pool, and then all of a sudden he's a master pianist. What? that that just seems is this true it, it it is true yes i mean maybe the guy is scamming people maybe maybe he's scamming people but there's um if, if you read through the blog but if you read through the post it's there's there's quite a few people like this there's people who've basically miraculously developed the ability to be an amazing artist amazing musician or an amazing mathematician and it's just called acquired savants 
Okay, so it wasn't like he acquired the knowledge, he acquired the ability to acquire the knowledge, so he became naturally musically talented. And so he could pick up music very quickly. He never played a piano before in his life. Uh-huh. He ne- never played the piano. It wasn't part of his life. He, he dove into the, the shallow end of a pool, smashed his head. There, there's visible evidence by scanning that his brain is now, has taken a different structure and has brain trauma. And he can now literally, he understands music. He understands the notes and he can see the notes in, in the air in front of him in a vision and can basically play amazing piano. <laughs> Huh. I'd like to find more of that. I, I was, it sounds I'm really skeptical cool. too. Skeptical. It sounds it sounds like a complete load of rubbish, right? I don't. Uh, one part of me is saying I don't believe this, but it just really interests me that that's possible. Because how how could it be possible? How could it be? Because mu- music requires training. So how could you all of a sudden have a blow to the head and become a good musician? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, that's pretty amazing. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it is pretty amazing. Um. And the point that I, I don't really believe it, I'd have, to, I'd have to find out where the sources are and get hit, find a little more about it. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just to think that, that anything even close to that would be possible is, is pretty interesting. Right. And one, one possible explanation for this, and, and this is like a completely wacky explanation, but I'm just going to throw it out there, mm-hmm. is that have you heard about the, I guess, the concept of universal uh, subconscious? Have you heard about this concept? No. Okay. Well, there's, there's a concept that there's like the, the, the universal subconscious where all human knowledge is kept. And one possible, uh, and I'm, I feel so stupid saying this. I'm not saying this is true. I'm so just saying. So this is your personal belief. No, I get it. No, so this, this is not. Sounds pretty, this sounds pretty new agey. Do you, do you bring your crystals out when you. It's not uh, my personal belief. This is just, <laughs> this is just one. Po- this is something that I've heard described. And it's, okay. it's interesting as a concept because it's like, look, it's looking at something going, what I, I'd never really thought that thought that that is a theory. It's just such a bizarre theory. Okay, right. so the theory is this: is that the brain that the, the brain isn't uh, the one doing the thinking. That the brain basically is some kind of ante- antenna structure. <laughs> so it so the brain knows how uh, it is such a specific antenna structure that somehow it can hook into the the spirit, our spirit, as it were. And regarding this type of situation this theory states that this the rupture to the brain reconfigures the brain in such a way that it can then tune into the global uh subconscious and pick up some talent which would which would explain one part of this which is that's how you could bypass training that that's if 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 that was remotely possible which i'm not saying i believe it is but you could basically bypass the whole training concept because you were hooking directly into so this is existing so, knowledge in the global uh, subconscious. So this is like the next step in Google Drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like iCloud on steroids or something. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just in Dropbox. Yeah, just go ahead and learn. Uh, you know, you could become a master chess uh, chess master. Just just look into this directory. Well, this and- is this is. Ab- have you ever heard of Dreamtime? Aboriginal Dreamtime. No. Oh, okay. Well, Ab- Aboriginal Dreamtime is this concept. It's basically they they will will um, meditate, and then through the meditation, they will step into the the tribe's global knowledge and pull it back, and they call it Dreamtime. Hmm. 
Yeah, well, it sounds like a. Uh, this sounds like this sort of good uh, science fiction fair at the very least. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of stuff that's hard to believe, um, you remember how we? I brought this up like probably like eight months ago or ten months ago. It was about there was a psychology experiment where the where they had the the test subjects were apparently able to predict what was going to happen in the future um, better than fifty percent of the time. Do you remember right. that? And I we're do. like, that just sounds like Faintly. that sounds. It yeah. sounds crazy, right? Like, how, how is that? Like, the, the somehow that, yeah, well, okay. I, I, I maybe I have, to, I have to search up. I'll maybe put the link up to it and um, if I can find it on our, on our website. But the, um, I guess they're doing a new project. What was it called? There's a group. It's called the, um, let's see if I can find it here. It's called the Reproducibility Project. Okay. So there's a group of researchers that are going to go and do and try and reproduce all of these experiments that were done in like the three major psychology journals. Because a lot of these experiments haven't really been reproduced by other researchers. Okay. And so so these, you, these experiments that can, where you can predict more than 50% of the time? Anything. Any experiments. You know, like a lot of times we'll talk about on the show, well, there's a new recent study came out that says that people who do X, then Y happens, or if Y happens, they have... Oh, really? So, so it's, just, it's just basically, it's saying empirical uh, journal evidence is, is a load of rubbish. Well, they just don't know. They're just, they're, there's, there's just some skepticism because you have studies coming out like this that says, okay, you know, it, it came from some, some legitimate scientists at a legitimate university, and their data looks good. It doesn't look like there's any reason to not believe, but this is the kind of reason that we need to go back and, 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 and see if we can reproduce the results that we're seeing in these. And I think that was one experiment that they brought up. Because when I started reading this, I'm like, the first thing it made me think of was um, that particular experiment. You know, because of mm. all the experiments that I've read about, that was the one that was sounded the most ridiculous. Um, so, but I guess some of the people in the uh, psychology field are a little nervous about this because, as they said, if 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 they do reproduce a lot of these experiments, if they 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 rerun these experiments and can't get the same results, it's going to make the whole field look really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the link up there to the, to the article. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, oh, and speaking of psychology. Oh, dude, we, we have to wrap. We've got to wrap. But okay. Okay. We need to wrap up at some stage. But to go. go. One, one quick small thing, and then we'll do the. Um, the any, any free wrap up. Okay. So, you know, I was talking. You know, obviously, anyone who's listening to the show knows how much I talk. And it's not. So it's, it's like I try and explain that it's sort of hard to control. <laughs> it's hard for me to stop talking. Yeah. And one way it really, uh, it's funny is watching my daughter, Izzy. She cannot stop talking. It is unbelievable. Is, we'll be like, Izzy, stop, Izzy, stop. Just, just stop talking because we're trying to, you know, I'm trying to ask my wife something and she just can't do it. Colby will walk around with his fingers in his ears. <laughs> Izzy, stop talking. <laughs> She's like, I can't, I can't, I can't stop. <laughs> And I'm like, it's like this little mirror following me around. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, funny. You know, of course, she gets in trouble in school a lot of time for not listening and talking. And I'm like, I tell the teacher, I'm like, well, she gets that from me. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Our listeners who wonder, why is Jason doing most of the talking? It's okay. a condition. <laughs> it's, it's, it is a condition. It's like some, yeah, you, you should, there should probably be some kind of drug for it. <laughs> Yeah. So, all right. Uh, well, since I've been doing this, more talking than you, why don't you uh, do the any foo thing? Start the, it off. Uh, okay. Um, 
I don't even know what to say. Like we're working on any foo and uh, <laughs> we hope to keep on rolling it out. That's the status update for this week. That's why you're, you, that's the, that's the, uh, the downside of me talking. Then I just, you get left out in the cold. <sighs> okay. Let's think. Okay. So I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it then. And you can follow up. So one thing that we decided to do is to, to make more regular process is to work together every day for roughly an hour or so, right? That's what I was about to say. Oh, well, you said you didn't know what to say. Okay, go on. Go, go, go. Go, go, well, go, go on. I'm, okay, go on. You. No, no, you, you, know, you go. You go. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't want to get any nasty emails. People was like, why are you bullying? You know, why are you bullying Justin? You don't want to talk. <laughs> All right. We're working together, but usually between... Um, well, I guess your time it's three to five and my time it's six to eight. Now that's, that's actually not a great time for me, but that's okay because I'll be moving back to, to LA. So our time is going to sync up much better. So we, uh, we, when we do work together, we basically keep Skype open. So we, it's like as if we're in the same room. So occasionally we'll, I guess like 50% of the time we'll share and the other 50% of the time we'll be working on our own separate projects. Um, and that really is what we've done. I mean, is there anything, is there anything else? How do you like add? it? What do you think about it? Um, I think it's good. I mean, I think it's good. It's, it's definitely good to keep the momentum up. It definitely brings any food back into my life to get me to focus on it. I mean, we, I guess the larger thing is we had, we had a, a big discussion to get to this point. Um, like a sort of behind the scenes discussion, which we don't need to go over in too much detail now, but basically um, we were at different, we were feeling differently about, our involvement. I mean, what do you want to say about this discussion in the well, background? I just, I just say, look, I mean, anytime you're in a partnership with people, who's doing what and who's expected to do what and who's done more than who and all that stuff, it's just, you know, those things can happen easily. And especially when it's a side project and, you know, we each have, you know, all this other stuff we're working on. So, right. um, and what could easily happens is then nobody's doing anything. <laughs> there, there was, there was, let's just say there were some reasons why we both became a little bit hands off with any food. Right, we both yes. we both pulled back a little bit, so it stalled, and we had a two hour chat about it, and then we both went away and thought about it, and <laughs> I just say, and our wives took up our, the respective positions. I had like Justin's personal advocate walking around, and, I was, and, and, and you, yeah, same for me. I had Jason's personal advocate walking around. So so we both, you know, our wives <clears throat> showed us the other person's perspective. So, you know, there was some differences and uh, we came together with our differences and now we are back on it again. And so we'll have more stuff to report. Well, I, I'm, I, I feel like the working together for even if it's 45 minutes a day, right? <laughs> yeah. Is a, is, is a big help. I, I, I feel like, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like we made some good progress already. We, oh, one thing we did is we made a, we made a task list. Do, do, do you want to talk about the differences or, or no? No, it's just, uh, we don't have much time. It's not that big a deal. I mean, okay. people, I, I don't think it's important to get too into it, but it, I think what's important is just kind of the fact that I think, I think that working together at the same time helps keep us on the same page and help us feel like we're both involved and motivated, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, that, that's why Guy and I have been able to continue working together for so long is because we work together. And so, if, here's the big, the big thing that I the big realization that I came to. If we stopped working on any foo, 
or if we changed the percentages in any way, if we changed anything, it would create a crack in the glass that would basically rupture the entire partnership. Like it would be the beginning of the end. So even if we, even if we agreed as friends, okay, you know what? I'm a little bit more interested in this. You're a little bit more interested in this. Okay. You take, you know, you take 30%, you take 70% because you're more, you know, you're, you've got 70% more interest. I still think that ultimately it would be the beginning of the end of, of the partnership. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's either you're in or you're not. Right. And, um, I think also, and obviously at the beginning of the end, I think if, if we, if we had a falling out over any food, would probably be falling out over the show. I think everything would go down, but it's not even a falling out. It's, it's, it's not a falling out. It's, it's just it, been e- like, even the, just, even just if one person is basically state stating that they're more into it <laughs> by mm-hmm. through, through an actual equity amount that then changes the, the balance of everything. So it's like, there's this delicate ecosystem going on. Right. And as soon as, as soon as you pull out, I don't know, in an ecosystem, if you take away the bees, then the birds have nothing to eat. And then, mm-hmm. then the thing that eat the birds fall over. It's, it's like that, like there's this delicate ecosystem. So it has to be 50, 50, otherwise it's all going to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, anyway, I, I think regardless of, of, if, if uh, the kinds of what causes different perspectives or anything like that in a partnership, I think the working together on a daily basis is a, is a positive thing. I think it helps, even if it seems kind of silly. Like, well, why don't why do I have to work when this other person is working? Because it's more convenient for me to work at a different time. I think it keeps people on the same page. It keeps you both kind of involved. It's, it keeps a real tight feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I I've, I've, I think it was real positive. I mean, it was actually Sandy's idea. Yeah, I think it's she, good. Very good. You, you had mentioned things about it at different times about us sharing screen and doing stuff, and I was more resistant to it at the time just because it was like, well, I don't know, it just it just it seemed unnecessary to me at the time. And but Sandy just she was the one encouraged. She's like, you guys should just work every day together for a certain period of time, and then of course that's what we started doing, and it's working. We make good progress. So I think if we keep doing this for the next couple of weeks, we'll have uh, very significant um, uh, improvements in the product very significant progress. Awesome. Um, and once that product's done, then we, that once we've got uh, our baseline done, then we can move on to the really hard work of marketing it and getting extra experts. So that's really where we're at. We just need to round, just to, to smooth off a few corners and, um, and then we can start our major expert push. Yeah, yeah. It was like, just be able to do basic things. Some of the registration stuff, there's still some issues and there's some stuff we want to, we needed to improve with the session journey. And there were some things like being able to cancel a session or reschedule it. I mean, just real basic stuff that the fact that it wasn't working caused a lot of work for us because if someone needed to cancel a session or reschedule it, then we had all these emails back and forth and everyone got all confused and um, it was a nightmare. So we want to get all, just get some of that basic stuff in place and then we'll do a big, uh, big push. So, yeah. So that's the status. Cool. So I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Right. And um, also a little part of our Monday's pairing time is going to be buying me a thousand dollars worth of Facebook shares. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. I'm starting to think because you're going to lose money and you're going to blame me. I'm going to hear about it for the next shift of the show for like a year and a half. And remember you told me to buy those Facebook shares? Nice. Good idea. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no, no. You'll have, you'll have Georgie on you. And she, she can be mean. Okay. I'm not doing it then. You're not buying sh- Facebook shares. <laughs> I'm not taking that yet. I don't, I don't need the headache. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll buy one share. 
Can you can buy okay, one, can, right? Can you? Yeah, you can buy one share. Okay, I buy one share, forty bucks. Yeah, right. So I mean, you look, you know, right. So that's <laughs> like bet, bet, bet. What you can only afford to lose, and meaning afford to lose, meaning that you're not going to be in pain if you lose it. Okay. You know. <laughs> so I guess that's I guess the show. Done, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's a good I'm one. Head out. So, all right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>